Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. Is my mic on yet? It's not me. I'm on? You can hear me. Okay. What a, a wonderful vision to be able to celebrate this morning that for endless days we will sing God's praise. What hope we have in the midst of our broken in our hurting lives, and a world that seems to be falling apart around us. And even here within our own spiritual family at Faith Covenant Church, we've, we've struggled uh, with a lot of suffering and death in this last year. And uh, it breaks my heart to bring news to you of our own Scott Awalt, who many of you know was also diagnosed with stage 4 cancer recently and has been going through chemotherapy. Uh, they just moved him to hospice, and uh, they're predicting about three to six days. And so our heart breaks again for another one that God is calling home. And so in the hope that God will be with us and we will sing in endless days, in eternity with Christ, um, it'll be a reunion that we look forward to, but we want to pray for him now and pray for God's blessing on our time in his word this morning. Would you pray with God, it is so hard to understand why bad things happen to good people and to seek meaning and purpose when you seem to call people that you love to suffer and to die in the midst of what otherwise is a normal, healthy, meaningful life. But God, even though we can't understand, we do know and trust that you are a good God. And that you have our best interests at heart and that because Jesus gave his life for us, it really doesn't matter what happens to us anymore in this life. We can trust that our lives are in your hands. And so we pray for our brother Scott now, knowing that he is firmly in your hands. We pray for peace and comfort, wisdom for the doctors and for his sister and his family. Would you give them confidence and hope that they are not alone, but you are with them. And we pray, God, that uh, out of this tragedy, you will sow your seeds of your mercy and your grace and your love, and so that Scott's story and his testimony can be a forever witness of your goodness and your grace in our lives. Speak to us now through your word, God, and help us to see the importance of uh, not only loving each other well while we have time in this life, but also sharing the good news message of Jesus with those who don't know you so they too can have this hope in their hearts of forever, endless days, singing your praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> God is good. And all the time, God is good. We're in the middle, of middle, well, we're coming to the end of our series, Know Your Why, and uh, last week we talked about how it's important that we understand our identity before we can understand our destiny, or that we first need to understand who God has created us to be before we can begin to understand who he's calling us to be. And that it's not just our identity apart from God that matters, it's our identity in Christ that begins to transform our understanding of who we are into who God has created us to become. 
We're going to, I was planning on wrapping up the series this week, but uh, the sermon today got to be too long, so I decided to break it into two parts. (laughs) So we're going to extend the series out one more week because I don't want to miss the last part of the series. Uh, But then I just want to give you a heads up of where we're going. As Cindy uh, said today, we're going to be doing a Know Your Why workshop on Saturday, October 30th. There'll just be three hours in the morning. We'll provide some continental breakfast, and it'll be an introductory look at how God shapes us and how he uses our story to reveal his calling for our lives. And as I said before, this series in in our thinking on staff and in leadership isn't kind of a one and done series. This is really a catalyst for where we're going this year as a church. That knowing our why as a church and why God has called us to be Faith Covenant Church in our community in this season and how we can reach out to the world around us and share the gospel message is a part of the ongoing discernment process that we need to be seeking together. And so knowing our why, this series is kind of a biblical framework for how do we do that thinking and then where can we begin to practically explore how God is speaking to us and where he is calling us. And so we're going to be uh, doing something that I know we really enjoy doing as a, as a faith community. After this, we're going to do an in-depth book study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you know Ecclesiastes, you know that Solomon went through his own journey of trying to discover his why, right? And he tried everything to find meaning and purpose under the sun. And so we're going to explore that journey with him, but we're going to do it in a little bit different way this year because uh, doing an in-depth study can be kind of tedious, but it takes a long time to work through the chapters and the verses in a book. We're going to break it up into modules. And so we're going to do a section before Christmas, and then we're going to take a break for Advent. And then we'll do another section in the new year, and we'll see kind of how far we get. And if we need to break it up and take a pause and do another section in the spring, we may do that. So we're going to use Ecclesiastes as a part of this question of knowing our why and take time to do a deep dive into this significant book of the Bible that we often overlook or pass over because it's a difficult and challenging book. And yet, as we'll see when we get into it, so many of the verses from that book have made their way into our popular culture, that that it has an influence in the culture that many of us don't even realize. So not only that, but we're going to be creating other ways to uh, do practical assessments and learning more about our gifts and our calling and how God is calling us to be a church that makes disciples and that makes disciples who can make disciples. Part of our understanding as being church, right, is that church is a place where we learn and we also serve, and it's in our learning and our serving that the Holy Spirit comes and teaches us more about who He's created us to be and the skills and the passions and the gifts He's given us, but then also how He wants to use that to be a blessing to others, And the church is a place where we begin to to practice that and to learn and to to see from others who have gone before how to live that out in real and practical ways. And we receive training and education and opportunity. Yet we also believe, at least according to Scripture, that our training in Christian community also prepares us to engage the world around us outside the church. Right? Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And we know that he commanded his first disciples after he rose from the dead and he commissioned them to, to, to go out into the world in his name. He, he says in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so last week, as we talked about how God engages us through three primary avenues, we, he engages us through his word, and he engages us through his spirit, and he engages us through God's people. When you combine those three, you have a pretty powerful uh, opportunity for us to meet God and engage with God, and really, that's a vision for what the church is supposed to be about, right? See, then through the same means, through, through God's Word and God's Spirit and God's people, not only we do, do we discover a sense of our identity in Christ, but we begin to receive practical training and practice in using our abilities and our gifts and the way God has created us in Christian community so that when we go out from this building, when we go out from community, when we leave our houses and we meet with our neighbors and we work with our coworkers and we have fellow students at school we are on mission because we've been sent by Jesus to be salt and light in the world. Amen? It's a beautiful vision of church. The problem is, it doesn't always happen that way. Right? But when we look at Scripture, we understand, hopefully, that the incarnation of God in Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, the God who created the world and the universe became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. And our call to follow that person is also then a call to join him in the mission that he came to fulfill in the world, which was to engage the world with the gospel message, right? The good news that God is forgiving people's sins, inviting them back into relationship and redeeming them from their lostness and their brokenness in the world so that like Scott and us, we can have the hope that we will live with him in eternity. Now in that process, it's often said, I think that we are to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And yet, if we follow the example and call of Christ, we have to keep in mind within the truth that we are called to be in the world and not of the world, that in Jesus we are called to engage the world with the gospel message of Jesus. Jesus couldn't have been clearer, right? Then in John 17, when he asked God not to take his disciples out of the world, but to remain with them in the world so that they could fulfill the mission that Jesus had been given. In John 17, 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Okay, they're in the world, and they're not of the world because they have the word of God that is in them. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one while they're in the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And yet, he has called us to go into that world. 
So we can be physically present in the world, but we don't have to necessarily be a part of the world's value system, right? Because as followers of Jesus, we recognize that we have been born into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. We have a new value system that informs our lives, that gives us new priorities, and that guides us to understand the lives that God would call us to live. And yet, while it is true that we're called to exemplify a different way of living from the world around us, I'd like to suggest for us this morning that if we're not careful, an overemphasis on this idea can leave the impression that we have no real connection to secular society and no real responsibility for those who don't know Jesus. Or even more, we may come to believe that it's our Christian duty to separate ourselves from people who don't know Jesus in order to avoid their stain and their sin from contaminating us. Too often, this can lead good Christian people and many good Christian churches to miss a major part of their why, the why that God has called them in Jesus. See, wrong thinking and wrong teaching can creep into our, our, our theology and cause many people to believe that, that it's their duty to pull away from the world, to separate from non-believers, and, and, and to allow the world in all of its brokenness and its sinfulness and evil to be something that happens over there while we, while we, uh, we put ourselves into a Christian ghetto and we protect ourselves with our Christian friends and we never have to deal with the evil and the brokenness and the darkness of the, of the lives that people are living outside the church. But doesn't the Bible tell us that it is Christ's desire for us to be made strong in his love and in his spirit and in his grace so that as we live in this world of darkness and evil and sin, we are to function as salt and as light to share the good news that God loves everyone. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's useless. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, the fact that many people are lost in this world. That many people that we know, that we hear stories about, that we live with, are leading tragically broken lives who are blinded by the effects of sin in their relationships and, and in the lives they're living and that are perpetuating patterns of unhealthy and dysfunctional relationships from generation to generation to generation. And we, we don't, we're not involved in any of that, right? 
But, but the fact that, that there are people in this world that, that we're living next to, that are our neighbors, that are our coworkers, that are, are the students that we study with in school, are living this experience, shouldn't that cause us to look at the world around us, not with condemnation and judgment, but with deep compassion and a desire to change their circumstances? especially knowing who we are, right? That it's only by the grace of God that we are not still blind and lost and living the same kind of lives. As we begin to see the world through the gospel message of Jesus and through the eyes of God's Spirit and through, through the way that God has invited us to see through His Word, our hearts should begin to break with compassion for all the people that God loves. Our lives should be compelled by Christ's love, we read last week, to reach out and to tell others about this amazing love that God has for them as well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. We talked about that last week. That's our story. That's our testimony. That's our witness. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good God is. We should never forget the words of John 3, 16 and 17 that says, For God so loved the sinless that he gave his, his only son. Well, why are you laughing? You're laughing at the Bible? Oh, did I misquote it? Oh, for God so loved the perfect that he gave his... One and only... No, that's not it either. For God so loved the religious people that he... Well, maybe we should just read it. <laughs> 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. You see, when we look at the world around us, when we leave this building today, if you're watching from home, when you step outside of your house this afternoon and you see the world out there around us, we're invited to see through the eyes of God's Spirit people that God created, that God loves, and that matters to Him no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what lives they're currently living. Ultimately, the Bible teaches us that our motivation for discovering our why, our reason for living, our purpose for following Jesus, and our identity in Christ is that we are called and created in Him to learn to love the world that He loves with the love that He's given us to love them with. The very people that He gave His life to save. And what we learn from Jesus' example is that in order to love the world around us, we have to be willing to engage the world around us. We cannot separate ourselves from people who don't know Jesus and somehow believe that we're going to be able to find our ultimate purpose and calling in Christ when, we, when he's given us the very mission of sharing his love with others to fulfill. Again, if we really understand 
in the incarnation of Jesus, the theology we believe about how God became human. He came to the world to engage those of us who were lost in, in sin to invite us back to himself. And that's the same process he's inviting us to follow him in. He has to engage with us directly and personally so that his word becomes a word to us. Through the Spirit of God within us, then, we are called by Jesus to carry that same mission and same message to those that he calls us to serve. Now, we know that as human beings, sin separates us from God, right? The Bible clearly teaches that's the consequences of our sin. In fact, the Bible goes even further and says the wages of sin is death. If we die in our sins without accepting the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives, we're essentially choosing to go it our own way. The problem the Bible tells us is that this choice has eternal consequences. Now, we don't really know, I think, what hell is, right? The Bible talks about hell. We have a lot of conversations about hell. We don't really understand what eternal life is, either in heaven or in hell, But I think we can say, knowing what we know from Scripture, that if God is everything that is good and right and true and honorable and lovely, then we can understand that to be separated from God would surely be a tragic and a tormented existence, wouldn't it be? Would we wish that on anyone? Sadly, I think we can already see And many of us have experienced glimpses of hell on earth, right? And what it looks like when people walk away from God, when they live their lives apart from God, when they allow sin and evil to be the masters in their lives. We see the effects. We experience the brokenness. We have a a glimpse of what separation from God entails. Now, in this, many people will ask, how is it that a loving God would condemn anyone to hell, right? Isn't that a question we often hear from people who who question whether the the truth of the gospel is is really true? Well, part of the answer that we get from Scripture is simply that God is God, right? I mean, as God, He has the sovereign authority to do whatever He wishes to do with the creation that He's made. And I think there's, there's a truth in the sovereignty of God that, that it kind of says, well, we, who are we to question God? But I don't really feel like that satisfies the answer to that question, right? I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer to you. And I, re- I think the reason why it doesn't really ring true for us or fully satisfy our, our questioning in that regard is because it's only half the truth. It's true, but it's only half the truth. It doesn't really help us to understand who the sovereign God that we speak of really is. And that's why the gospel message and the mission of Jesus becomes so important because it is Jesus as the Son of God, as the one who became one of us, that reveals who this sovereign God is. And who is it that, God, that Jesus reveals this sovereign God to be? See, the truth that Jesus reveals and that we see in Scripture is that it's not God who rejects people. It's people who reject God. 
What Jesus reveals to us about God is that in his sovereignty, in his all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent self, he chose to love sinners, to not count their sins against them, to take the punishment for sin upon himself, to, to eliminate the separation that sin causes in our relationship with God, and to welcome us back with open arms, without cost, without us having to do anything except receive it as a gift. And isn't that what grace is? Grace is gift. Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross so that everyone can be saved, so that no one should perish, John 3, 16 says. Yet, because he is a God of love, because this is the God who Jesus revealed him to be, God will not force himself on anyone. God will not abuse his power as the almighty sovereign authority in the universe to force you or me or anyone to accept his gift. In love, he gives us the choice to say yes to Jesus, to acknowledge our sinful, broken state, and to receive his mercy and his grace as a gift. Or not. That's why... Verses 18 and 19 go on from there in John chapter 3. says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Right? They've chosen not to receive the gift. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God doesn't reject anyone. God doesn't send anyone to hell. The real sad part of the story is that we choose to go there ourselves when we reject God's love in Jesus. So what can we take away from these verses? First, I, I think it suggests to us that none of us have any grounds to boast, right? Our own inclusion in Christ comes to us as a gift, not because of our goodness or our righteousness. And so we can't boast about being Christians and being saved as if the world out there who's not saved is somehow worse off than we are. Our response is deep gratitude and thanksgiving and, and obedience to the calling of Christ in our lives because we recognize how amazing this gift really is. I, I've been in a conversation with someone in our church this last week right, about this very topic. And, and she pointed out to me that even those of us who are in Christ need to be reminded periodically of how grateful we should be for this eternal life that we have and the hope that we have in Christ we no longer need to fear the eternal consequences of sin because it's only come to us as a gift. You see, it's this gratitude of recognizing the good news message of Jesus that, that gives us a second takeaway from this verse that, that then we also, I think the Bible suggests, have a responsibility for what we are going to do with the gift that we've been given. 
Because of the gift of grace that we've received from Jesus, the Bible, I believe, teaches us that, that our responsibility is simply to give witness to this good news gift that we've received in Jesus and to share that story with the lost and a hurting world around us. And so I think where the Bible leads us is to believe and to understand that if we're to love the world around us, if we're to engage the world around us outside the church and the non-believing people that are in our lives, we can only do so through the power of Jesus' love in us and to pass on the gift that we've been given. The message of the gospel is not a message of a wrathful God who's just waiting around to punish sinners unless they repent. The message of the gospel is a loving God who's already gone to the cross and sacrificed his life and overcome sin and death and the devil and is seated in heaven with all authority and power and might so that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? He's already accepted sinners. He's already demonstrated mercy and forgiveness and grace. He's invited anyone who chooses back into relationship with himself. And so here's the hard truth, men and women, that I want to challenge us with this morning and I think is one of the biggest challenges for the Christian church, at least in America today. To love the world around us is to tell people of the love for God, of God for them in Jesus. To fail to tell them of the love for God for them in Jesus is to fail to truly love them. Let me say that one more time. To fail to tell them of the love of God for them in Jesus is to fail to truly love them. Ouch. Right? That's a hard one. That's a hard one for me as a pastor. Right? I've got neighbors that I don't talk to. I've got people that I, I meet going through my life that, that I don't uh, see an opportunity from God to engage with and that I might feel like, oh, I'm too busy or I don't have the opportunity. And I, uh, This is not you know, me you know, criticizing you. I think this is a challenge for all of the believing community in our day and in our age and probably through the ages, right? But before we feel too guilty about this, I want to suggest that this is something I believe God is inviting us to be convicted about so that we come together and help one another do better in this regard. And so in that, I want to suggest there's two common teachings that we hear that I think are good, they're not wrong, but again, they're incomplete. And if we're not understanding how these teachings are somehow incomplete, they can get us off track, or they can give us a little bit of an excuse to fudge on our calling in Christ. Okay, you ready? So one of these teachings is, and you may have heard this before, in Matthew 8, uh, 28, right, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go and, and make disciples of all nations. You interpret that, that word go, and they say, if you go back to the Greek, and you understand, you know, it's the first, second, third participle, aorist kind of form of the verb kind of thing. Really, if you understand Greek, it means as you are going, right? It's as you are going. And so while that's true, and I think there's a truth in this idea that God calls us to live our lives in Christ as we are going about our daily business, 
right? And to be models of Christian lifestyle, it also kind of lets us off the hook to really understand that in this verb is also a command of Jesus to go. That if you really understand what Jesus is saying to his disciples here, it's, yeah, it's as you are going, but there's a command that you are being sent into the world on purpose with a purpose. And too often, I think we as Christians allow ourselves to get off the hook to say, well... Did he really say go? That's kind of like as you're going, just be a good person, right? There's a difference in whether we believe that we are called and sent or we are invited by Jesus to simply be a good Christian as we're going about our business. Okay, so the second one is attributed to Francis of Assisi, which I did a little research, and apparently he never said this, so I don't know if that's true or not. Again, it's not necessarily wrong, but I think it's incomplete, and that is, preach the gospel continually, and if necessary, use words. (laughs) Yeah, right? Of course, we're supposed to live lives that speak and model love and grace and light and truth. There's a nice sentiment to this statement. Be sure you're living out the grace of God and the gospel message in your life and in your relationship. Make sure that you live a life of integrity, right? That your actions match what you say you believe. All of that is good and true. Yet, if we take it too far, we might say that, gosh, we never actually have to tell anybody about Jesus. But if we fail to tell them about the love for God for them in Jesus is to fail to love them, hmm, does that sentiment really work out? I think in both, the reality is it's not an either or, it's a both and, right? Isn't that Paul's perspective in Romans 10, verses 13 to 15? He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And and he's not talking about getting up on a platform on Sunday morning and preaching a sermon. That's not the kind of preaching he's talking about. Preaching means giving testimony to the good news message of Jesus. Talking about Jesus, telling your story, being a witness of the amazing grace that transformed your life and is a gift that he wants to give away to them as well. And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? And yet, what we just said is that each one of us in Christ is sent We're called. Jesus said, go. Make disciples. Do it. Not only in actions, but in words. Speak the truth of the gospel with whoever God would call you to share the love of Jesus with. And he wraps it up by saying, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those 
who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who are willing to share their story and to tell people of Jesus' love for them. Now, I've intentionally chosen the word engage today. We've been called to engage the world. Because I think another challenge that we can have as Christians is we can come to believe that somehow it's our job to go out and save the world. And that's not what Jesus' calling is all about, right? It's Jesus' job to save the world. All our job is simply to share the good news of his love in our lives. Our job is not to convince people or to convert people or to save souls. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Our calling is simply to engage with those that God puts in our path, to be willing to connect with, to talk to, to share our story, and to tell people who don't know Jesus about the good news. Because the reality is, we know more and more people have no clue what the gospel is really all about. They think they do, but they've never heard the true gospel story. Most people in our culture today are biblically illiterate. They don't even know what's in the Bible. And so you might be the only Bible that anyone in our culture will get to read. Our calling is to engage the world with the same grace and the same love that we've received in Jesus. To tell them the good news story that has transformed our lives. The grace that continually, and again, it's not the grace that we received when we were three, right? And we said yes to, to pray, to accept Jesus in our heart because we were raised in the church. It's the grace that God gave us yesterday because we messed up. Again. Right? It's not about how good we are. It's not that we got our act together. It's not that we're perfect. It's that we are learning how to live in the grace of God to accept that gift over and over again and allow it to transform us so that we mess up a little less often, that we learn to, to use God's love in a way that transforms our marriages and our families and our churches to be ones that are salt and light in the world. I want to wrap up for today. Again, this is part one of part two and just to, to, to bring it home to say, in this calling in Christ, as you seek to know your why, know that as Jesus' disciples, we are commanded to go. We are sent into the world. And we need to figure out what that means for you and for me individually. And we need to understand what that means for us as a faith community in our season. And the second and perhaps the more challenging one is that we're also commanded to speak. We're commanded to tell the story. And many of us have never been taught or trained or, or, or have been modeled how to do that. And so in, in some ways, there's no, no one's to blame. It's not a guilt trip that I want to lay on anyone today. In some ways, we all bear equal responsibility that somehow we've, we've missed our calling. We've, we've dropped the ball to some extent, and we need to trust that God's Spirit is inviting us to rediscover the calling that we have in Christ as His church in the world, and in that process, to discover meaning and purpose and joy when we see the fruit of God's message bringing new people into the kingdom, Right? If you have a church, if we have a church like we do, how long do you think it would be acceptable for us 
to say that no new person has accepted Jesus through the ministries of our church, and we would be okay with that. I think we should prayerfully ponder that question together, not only today, but in the days ahead. When our story becomes God's story, our lives find their deepest meaning and purpose and value when we discover that we are not only called, but we are sent by Jesus to make a difference for his kingdom in the lives of the people who we live with, not only in the church, but outside the church as well. Would you pray with me? God, I kind of feel like we're, we're leaving this message hanging in the air. It's kind of half done. And, and while there's a definite challenge and a call here, God, there's, there's some missing pieces for me and maybe for us as well. How do we do that? Where do we go? What, what, what can we do if we really feel called by God and want to respond? And so I ask, God, that you would allow this message to percolate in us this week. May it drive us to pursue conversations with people in our small groups and in our discipleship groups, with our, our friends and our co-workers, uh, uh, about where God might be leading us in this question of being called and sent to engage the world around us. And God, in this season of an increasingly polarized political culture in the world that we live, I pray that you give us a vision on how we can rise above all of the anxiety of the world we're living in because the gospel message of Jesus is so much more than any political party or position or government. And to give us insight on how we are, are able to, to lean into one another rather than separate from one another to realize our greatest purpose and calling to be united in Christ for his mission. And God, we will thank you and praise you for the ways you lead us and guide us and manifest yourself in our lives through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.